0: Hey, I'm Brian Hall, and today we'll be getting to know Tom and Brooke Sunderland from Golden Brown Records, a young label on the West Coast with releases from artists such as Joe Past and Garden Gate.
1: Time to open the door to the and with this perception
0: And Ari Roar. In future states.
1: Dirty mouths scream six 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 draped across the whole.
0: Powerhouse and Bird Magic Shadow graphs
1: to remember the frozen star I never see to forget her,
0: her and pregnant. Obvious Creature. Throughout this episode, we'll go through Golden Brown's roster and dive a little bit deeper into each artist's work. From the short snippets you just heard, you can already tell, hopefully, that the music coming out of Golden Brown is excellent. We'll also get an idea of what the role is of an independent record label in today's world. If you're an artist, you might get some invaluable advice, but you won't have to be an artist to enjoy the music, information, and personalities that will be bestowed upon us through the telephone from a couple thousand miles away. Hey, Brian.
2: Hey, what's up,
0: Tom? Not much. How's it going? Pretty good. How are you?
2: Doing pretty good. Yeah? Yeah. I've cool. got uh, Br- Brooke with me here as well, so hey. I'm just going to plug in these headphones.
0: Yeah, hey, hey, Brian. Hey, Brooke. How are you?
2: Good, how
0: are you? I'm good, thanks. I'm actually hearing both of you pretty clear. Brooke and Tom are in Los Angeles, by way of Portland, by way of Kansas, and they have pretty much the perfect combination of skill sets, talents, interests, and experience for running their own label. For starters, Tom worked at an established label, Lefster Records, for two or three years before starting Golden Brown. So he's been on the inside, met a lot of people, seen how everything works. He also has a legal background, licensed in the state of Oregon, and they are, both Brooke and Tom, musicians themselves. In fact, this song is their first single, Walk Through Time. Their band name is Winds. Another of Brooke's many talents is creating visual content. She's responsible for much of the visual aesthetic for the label. They're ambitious, smart, they have great taste in music, they're likable people, and forming relationships seems to come very naturally to them. Perhaps most important of all, they're really passionate about the artists they work with and their music, which becomes abundantly clear when you hear how they talk about a particular artist or album. You'll see what I mean. But first, a little bit about how they ended up here. Brooke and Tom met at KU in an anthropology class in 2008. They bonded over interests, both musical and other, They mentioned So Far by Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, the best of Wilson Pickett, and a couple different Electric Light Orchestra albums as records they used to spin in those early days together. Tom also recalls riding to class in Brooke's car when Flutes of the Chi by Ween came on her mix CD. Tom was obsessed with Ween, still is, so he was very impressed. I feel like I should say something is brown right now for those who would get it. Brooke would teach Tom piano. Tom would teach Brooke guitar. They also both liked the outdoors. They went on hikes. Brooke was pretty into disc golf at the time, so they did that together. Tom graduated in 2009 and hung around for another year playing in a band and taking a couple entrepreneurial classes while he waited for Brooke to graduate. Then came LSATs and law school applications.
2: And then I got into schools kind of like all over the western United States. So it kind of came down to which school was the right fit, but also where we saw ourselves like enjoying settling down for a while and getting to know the city and everything and um, kind of came down between Portland and Denver, Colorado, and ended up going to Portland, and I think it was definitely the right call, because it's, it's a pretty amazing city. We really, like, learned a lot and matured a lot and evolved a lot, I think, while we were there.
3: Yeah, for sure. We fell in love with this, with the city, but also just, like, Oregon, the state of Oregon, almost as soon as we moved there. It's just very different from where we grew up, the, um... Kansas has a very subtle beauty, um, except for those big clouds. But in Oregon, it's just you know mountains and the biggest trees, some of the biggest trees in our country, and thousands of them, hunt, millions of them, probably. Yeah. Which so unfortunately, the- right now, are like a lot of them are on fire. Yeah. <laughs> Which is super sad. Actually, the the hike we got engaged on um, is. Like, probably one of Portland's, like, crowning jewel hikes. Everybody goes there. It's, like, you take all your guests there and stuff. It's an easy hike into this, like, incredible waterfall that you can swim in in the summer. And these kids let off fireworks on that hike this last weekend. And, like, now the entire gorge almost is burning. Oh, no. Yeah, it's pretty bad.
0: An update on Eagle Creek Fire. It's about 50% contained right now, and almost 50,000 acres have burned. Anyway, the school where Tom studied law is Lewis and Clark College. It's a
2: school that's really mostly known for its environmental law program. Um, so it was a pretty laid-back law school, I think, in terms of comparing them you know, around the country. Um, but uh, I ended up kind of focusing more on copyright and entertainment law, intellectual property, that kind of thing, um, and then contracts which both were areas that I was able to apply directly once I started working in the music business, so that was a really nice transition there as well. Right.
0: And did you always sort of foresee that that's where you wanted to go with law? I think I did. Like, once... uh, After,
2: like, a year or two into the curriculum, you kind of, uh, you know, start to pick your path, and I think I found that the practicing of law wasn't always the most interesting to me but it was more of like the subject matter that the law was about and that needed to be an area where you like the clients that you were going to be working with and the ideas that you're going to be talking about and all that kind of stuff and so that's where having always had a interest in music it was just so interesting to learn about how copyright works and how those rights are sold off or licensed um, and kind of what standard deals look like and that kind of thing. Um, So it was always just the most interesting application of the law for me, I think.
0: Yeah, I think you were, I recall you being really super helpful when uh, Donnie and I were basically trying to understand things for the first time and you We're very patient in explaining things to us on the phone. Quick aside, I first met Tom when my band, Grubby Little Hands, signed to Lefsa Records. I mentioned that Tom had prior experience working at a record label. Lefsa has been around since 2009. They launched Neon Indian, Youth Lagoons, some really groundbreaking artists. For my fellow Philadelphians, they worked with A Sunny Day in Glasgow. Their roster is impressive, worth checking out for sure. Our album, Garden Party, was released in 2016 between Living Hour's self-titled album and Still Parade's Concrete Vision, both of which are amazing. We were honored to be in this company, and I specifically remember Tom being really helpful in explaining how everything works in terms of sales and publishing and putting some of the legal language from their contracts into layman's terms. We really appreciated that.
2: Yeah, it's good to hear. I, I kind of feel like having gained a lot of that knowledge, it's definitely one of the things that I like the most to help artists with because it's none of it is intuitive really or is something that... Um, You know, it's all just man-made, made-up you know, laws and everything. And so um, it's nice to be
0: able to kind of explain the the behind-the-scenes and just help out in that kind of way. Yeah. So how exactly did Tom end up at LEFSA?
2: So um, it takes like four months to get your bar exam scores back um, to find out if you've passed the bar in Oregon. And so during that time where I had taken the bar and I was just like waiting to see whether or not I passed, um, I just started kind of like thinking of creative ways that I could use this degree and this knowledge. Um, so just started cruising message boards and things like even Craigslist and word of mouth and ended up coming across this opportunity. Um, at a, it was anonymously listed at a local record label Um, so I went ahead and sent in a resume and went and met with them and turned out it was Lefza Records and they told me about, you know, they put out the first Neon Indian album, which was like a really important and very cool album I felt like when it came out. And I was like, okay, this is, this is pretty cool. I think this could really work out. And so I worked with Matt Halverson, the founder and owner of Lefza for Probably about two, two and a half years, Um, maybe going on three, depending on where we're at right now. But um, it was basically a great learning experience because Matt is somebody who had been in the music industry for like 20 years. Um, He'd had experience with management and with uh, as a label and kind of had seen the industry from all different sides. And I was able to bring this complementary skill, which was being a pretty organized person and having this background knowledge of the law and being able to write and um, interpret contracts and things, and as well as my own um, just interests in good music, that kind of like weird pop music that is has always been my favorite. So, we just hit it off really well and started working, started signing some bands. Um, living Hour, and then You Guys, Grubby Little Hands, um, Still Parade. Um, there was... Let's see, we did... Um, I'm drawing a blank now, but... we've, You know, we did. We worked on a Cornelius reissue, which was really
0: cool. Right, uh, I saw that. I think Pitchfork... I think that got... Um like a best new reissue on Pitchfork, and yeah, by the time I tried yeah. to buy one, it was already sold out.
2: <laughs> yeah, those went super quick. They, um, we worked with Fat Possum on that release, and it just, I mean, that it's such a beloved album, and
0: it had been out of print for a long time, so everything got snatched up really fast. Would, would you say that it, while you were at LEFSA, that's where you learned, like, how to run a PR campaign, a radio campaign, like, best way to do production of a physical product, how publishing works and licensing and weeding through submissions and all that stuff? All that, yeah, exactly. Um, and the big one that
2: you mentioned there at the beginning was definitely like PR um, because thats it's kind of like the bane of every label's existence. Like It's like the, the hardest uh, type of work that you have to do because so much of it is out of your hands, whether the recipient of your reach outs is going to, you know, listen to it, be into it, actually want to write about it. You know, it's just a. there's a lot of rejection involved. And so. Um, but learning kind of the tricks of how to build a good contacts list and how to format those emails and those reach outs um, is something that I had never seen before until i joined on at lefsa and kind of saw how that works um so that's where my understanding of that came from and it's been interesting kind of as you move along in the industry and you meet more people you pick up more of those tricks those like pr ideas of a certain way that this label does it or you know how a certain writer or radio station likes to receive their content or Whatever it might be. Um, So it's kind of just like a long-term learning game of how to best manage those contacts and do the best you can to just get the music out there.
0: Eventually, Tom and Brooke come up with the idea to start their own label. So in the summer of 2016, they launched Golden Brown with a compilation album, Perfectly Toasted Volume 1.
2: knew immediately that I wanted the first release to be a compilation because I feel like with a compilation you can provide kind of a broader scope of what the label is going to sound like right off the bat. Um, you know, if you're going to have oh, a lot of variety and stuff within your artist but this kind of thread that ties it all together, um, putting together a compilation just seemed like the purpose, perfect way to get that kind of feeling across and the other thing that it did that um, I think was really great is it was a really great way to start to build working relationships with a number of artists at once and a lot of the artists who were featured on Perfectly Toasted um, are artists that we've continued to work with um, and either have done or will be doing um, releases uh, of their work here in the future. So that, that initial compilation really set the stage, I think, for the whole label in general in a lot of different ways.
0: Yeah, it's a wonderful mixtape, and I, I think that's such a great idea, um, like you said, as opposed to um, sort of l- announcing a label with one release that just sounds like, you know, that one band, to start. That song was Come and Fulfilled by Casey Burge, by the way, featured on the compilation. So along with the big move to start the label came a big move, literally, as Brooke and Tom headed to Los Angeles.
3: Portland to like a utopia or something because it is in many ways like quality of life is really high which is incredible and there's some really amazing people and amazing things going on there Um, but I think we had just we had never lived in a really big city which is something we wanted to do and um, yeah we just wanted to challenge and we definitely are being challenged here in different ways than even we would have anticipated. We cut. We knew ish what we were getting into. We like came out for a week um, before we made the decision and tried to catch some feels on LA, and we loved everything.
2: <laughs> the most striking thing that I think is really great for us is just the diversity here. Yeah. And just it's a diversity of thoughts and ideas and just religions and everything it's it's like it's such a refreshing thing to see
0: isn't there the possibility of like landing a song in the next TV show or something
2: Absolutely yeah I mean that's a huge part of uh, pretty much all the licensing agencies and music supervisors are based here and we've started to develop some relationships with some of them that um we've gotten a couple sinks here and there and you know being able to meet with people face to face is pretty irreplaceable um in terms of just having your label and your label's music like on their mind when they are working on your projects so that's another just opportunity that's here um that Golden Brown is trying to take advantage.
0: Another one from Perfectly Toasted, by the way, that was Bang Chasing by Bobby. So let's really dive into the music now. We're going to go one by one through Golden Brown's releases in chronological order. The first release after the comp, Joe Passed.
2: first one was a tape EP for Joe Past. The first one after the compilation. Um, and Joe is somebody that I met online um, through some submissions to... Uh, I believe it was a publicity company that Matt was running at the time. Um, and basically, I just he's from vancouver bc and as soon as i heard the ep i just loved the way that he combines these kind of sharp angular guitars um which kind of set this tone but then his vocals come in and they're super light and airy and they just seem to kind of drift over the mix and the combination of the two Um, was just something really unique that I hadn't ever heard before. Um, there's a song in particular called Pet Crows that has always been, uh, I think my favorite from him. Um, so we just started talking about doing a release and didn't take too long to put it together and we got that out I think it was July 1st or something like that yeah after the June compilation.
3: Joe's been one of our like touring warriors as you might put it he is just like constantly playing shows all up and down the west coast um, and other places and so um, he just like you know he really had a vision for what he wanted his work with us to be like and um, part of the reason the release wasn't it was, which was not even a month after a comp release, was because Joe was on the road and he needed those tapes because they sell. <laughs> so mm-hmm. Joe um, Joe has like has a really good fan base, and um, so that was really fun to work with a, a musician right out the gate who was booking shows, and um, so we got to start really learning about. The process of tour support and
1: mm-hmm.
3: Joe had a lot of his own shows booked because that's actually something he uh, kind of came to us with, the ability to book shows. But um, yeah, it's been, it was great working with him. Still
2: yeah, and we got to go up to BC for their release, album release uh, show and um, they, him and his entire band are all just really great people so they've been a really good group to be working with on yeah. the label.
0: Um, so all right who was after Joe passed?
2: Uh, after Joe passed was Garden Gate who you featured on your show and we kind of met Tim through you guys basically through the good behavior uh, grubby little hands family.
1: Time to open the door to the
2: another one where as soon as I heard it uh, it just it's another one it's such a unique sound it's this eerie kind of haunting um, the organ sounds the drum machines uh, and just such really solid songwriting we actually got to meet Tim in Philadelphia at that Grubby Little Hands show so that was really great to have met him um, ahead of time
3: Yeah, it was just a brief we didn't get to hang too long but like yeah it was really great to meet Tim and like we said earlier Tim was one of those artists that came to us with the whole package of all the music all the artwork um, and he was um the first artist that we worked with who had who wanted that you know who had a really strong visual presence and that that was a really important part of his release
2: and it was another fun one because we got to work with uh anthony uh from sunstone records in the uk who put the album out um on vinyl um so we did the cassette release in the digital and sunstone the, or handled the vinyl and it, it turned out gorgeous um, and yeah. it was really it's always cool to just meet other labels and um, have a little bit of a chat about how they're doing things or tips and tricks and that kind of thing.
0: So who was after Garden Gate?
2: After Garden Gate was Ari Roar. Ari Roar is the solo project of Caleb Campbell. Um, he's from Denton, Texas. I don't know who I am. When I came across him, I was working at Lefsa and um uh, just always really enjoyed his music and so when we started up the label i reached out to him um wanting to put out some of the tracks that i had heard from him about a year or so previous and um he said he was down to do an ep and so we put that one together and it's a four-track ep called patch me up and we're into the idea of doing these like alternative merch items um, for a lot of our releases because we knew the cassettes were a bit of a niche thing still and but it's it's kind of we wanted to be able to provide something that something physical that people could buy to still support the artist and still get the download and everything like that and so for um, Patch Me Up we ended up doing a iron-on patch um, of a design that Caleb did himself um, that turned out really cool. Um, so we had that merch item available for that one, which was one of the first kind of like alternative merch items that we did.
3: Yeah, Tim's posters and then, uh, yeah, the patch. were the first two um, merchandise items, for
0: sure. You know, and I recall uh, you telling me your idea when you... When, um, when you both came out to visit us in Philly. This yeah. is pre-Golden Brown, I believe. Well, maybe not it wasn't. Nice.
3: We had, like, but when we came to visit you guys, like, it, we had just kind of birthed the idea, and so we were full of yeah. nothing but ideas. Okay, I
0: remember you saying, like, at, at this point, a lot of physical products are just sort of, like, artifacts, or, or not artifacts, like, but, um, you know, they're just literally just to have something tangible, so it could be, it's not really what you're using to actually listen to the music. So right. it could be anything. It could be a hat with or it could be whatever that just comes with the download. You know, yeah. I think that's a great idea. Yeah.
2: And they both, you know, they, they both turned out pretty well. And I think, um, you know, just to talk about the music a little bit, like the Ari Roar project and just Caleb's, talent in general um always just grabbed me he kind of has this elliot smith like john lennon I, I like to call kind of like bedroom rock vibe um and it's just extremely well orchestrated and put together um we we did ended up filming a uh, a live session of him when he came to visit us uh one time and just being able to watch him play the songs live is always a, a treat because he uses some pretty intense like chord shapes and progressions. And it's just really fun to see somebody who's really proficient in those kinds of things um, performing at a high level. So yeah. we really enjoyed his work a lot.
3: He's just like a master songwriter. And just like his vocals are so pure he doesn't use, like, like at least when we recorded him live, he didn't need any kind of vocal processing, like, they were just, like, almost as good as the recorded vocals, just right there in the room, it was really impressive, and he has a really beautiful voice, and he talked a little bit with us about, um, kind of finding his voice, where, like, there was a time when he was maybe trying to, like, push his voice in a certain way and make it sound a certain way and then at a certain point he kind of like let go and just let his voice sound the way it was going to sound and it was i think sound you hear that and how effortless it sounds
2: After Ari Roar was Future States, and they're a band um, out of Montreal slash Ottawa, up in Canada. We came across them also as while I was at LEFSA, and um, we were doing some PR stuff. And I remember Matt sent that one over to me and was like, I think you really dig this one in particular. Um, And I did. There's just something um, about their sound. It it had like a a playfulness to it that I think was always really great. Um, And it's also, it's very experimental. I remember thinking that their tracks, they really take you kind of on a journey like um the structures are all kind of broken up on a lot of the songs and they really tend to have an ebb and a flow to their music um and so as soon as i heard the album through listened to it a couple more times and i knew that we wanted to work with them for a full-length release and they have been just super great dudes to work with um I've learned quite a bit about the visa process for a touring band trying to come from Canada into the United States, and what a pain that can be. Um, we went through that for a while, just trying to get it so they could come down here and play, um, but we were able to get that, and so they have a visa, and they they just finished some East Coast shows with Bird Magic, which is really cool. That is cool. Um,
0: I saw them on tour together. This yeah, past- I think... As,
2: like, a, running a label, I think it's probably my favorite part when I see some of our artists, like, utilizing each other to, you know, get more exposure, play shows together, like, really reach out and make those connections. Because, to me, one of the early reasons um, that I wanted to start a label and what I feel like the label should be all about is that, like, community kind of family aspect to it where um, a bunch of bands... Working together, um, you know the results can just be exponential.
1: Badly I loved you. Badly I love you.
2: that was our first um, release from an actual Portland artist, um, which um artist called Powerhouse, uh, the band's called Powerhouse, kind of the heart and soul of Powerhouse is Tony. And uh, Tony is just a really incredible uh, personality, very gifted musician. He's been just honing his craft as a songwriter for a number of years and he approached us with this album and i think the first time we you know listened through it there's just something gripping about it it's like a very emotional album uh it's very deep it's very layered um in terms of like sonically and um there's just these kind of like haunting chorus and refrains that just really stick with you in terms of how catchy they are. Um, he describes his music as future soul, and I think that that's a really great way to describe it because, similar to a lot of the music that we like, it's really rooted in like classic soul songwriting and structures, um, but it has this kind of otherworldly layered, affected um, vibe to it. what's really cool about Tony is he hosts um, these shows these like kind of private shows at his house in Portland and they're always such a great gathering of people and just very interesting performers um, he really has a good group of people who really uh, admire him and respect his work and, and what he does and that's really evident when you meet him and you meet all the people around him
3: yeah also tony like when he came to us with this album that he wanted to release um he had been releasing music in portland in a much more underground fashion for years um even to the point of just like having the vinyl made and like just leaving it in record shops and stuff um not like totally yeah, anonymous totally non-traditional release and so you know Portland is, has recently been gaining, like, momentum and size and all that stuff, but kind of got the feeling through working with Tony that he was kind of tapped into the Portland music scene even before that. And um, so he just had some, like, kind of old Portland music scene connections um, that of people who really respected him as a musician and as a person um, and recognized that he had kind of never really stepped out into the limelight and so that's kind of what this release was a little bit for him was choosing to kind of like step out of his seclusion um and and the anonymity that he chosen to shroud himself in and really kind of own what you know his own work which is incredible and so that was a, a fun element like a cool element to tony's release
0: mm-hmm. next after powerhouse bird magic this one is near and dear to me. Bird Magic is the solo project of Donnie Felton, who, if you know anything about me or my band or the Good Behavior Collective, you probably know Donnie as well. I've been making music with him personally for over 10 years. He's also just a stellar dude.
2: So, yeah, Bird Magic, um, as you know, a is uh, the solo project of Donnie Felton, and he is a big part of Grubby Little Hands. And... Um, kind of met Donnie when I met you guys working with Little Hands uh, for LEFSA, and I remember at some point Donnie approached me and he said, like, hey, I've got these songs. Um, It's kind of a bit of an alter ego project for me that I've just been working on for a while. I didn't know if anyone would ever really hear it or anything, but like, check it out, let me know what you think. And I was excited to take a listen, and I listened, and it, it was another one that, you know, right away I was like, this is perfect for Golden Brown. Um, played it for Brooke, and she loved it. There's just a certain... I, I find that sometimes with the, the best music is the hardest to describe, and so I always have trouble with sort of the, the descriptions of... Um, some of our releases when I'm trying to write about them or explain them to people but it just had this great combination it was was a good one to come after Powerhouse I felt like too because it had a similar like future soul aesthetic to it like I feel like Bird Magic's music is very rooted in like R&B and soul Um, but then it's presented in almost this like indie electronic way um, where you hear some of like the Grubby Little Hands influences in um, some of the effects and the way the track is presented, um, but then at its core, it's really these like head bobbing rhythms and lush synthesizers and um, just Donny's very cool and creative vocal lines.
1: That was a fun one because, uh, having a bit of a relationship
2: already with Donnie, we were really able to kind of go back and forth a bit during the, uh, creation of the album. So he would send me the tracks, um, as they were coming along and I would provide, you know, maybe some feedback if I had some. And, um, it was really fun to watch the tracks kind of take shape. Um, with each iteration that he sent us, until it was the, the final one, and it was the you know, complete product.
3: Yeah, and also um, that Bird Magic release was special for us because it was the first artist off of the comp that started it all um, to come to us with and uh, have us release their um, a, a full release of theirs and like um, the the track that was on the comp originally is Circles, um, and it was definitely um, one of the songs that got, I think, the most response off of our comp.
0: I um, I've I fucking love Bird Magic, obviously. Like I I hitched my my wagon to my horse to uh, Donnie's wagon 15 years ago for a reason. <laughs> um, but uh, I you know I remember I, I listened to all those songs in all their various stages. As I'm sure he, he sent was sending them to you, and still, even knowing some of these songs dating back however long. Um, when he finally sent me the final version, I was like, this is it. I'm finally not touching it anymore. It's done. And I listened <laughs> yeah. to it from beginning to end. I was like, this is one of my favorite albums. Like, th- my best friend just made one of my favorite albums, you know? Uh. Yeah. After Bird Magic's release came Shadow Graphs.
1: Oh, I never
3: to forget her. Brian Olson, part of the duo that is the creators behind Shadowgraphs, um, is a pretty established collage artist who makes some really amazing collage work and who did some, um, all, pretty much probably all the collage work on their jackets and everything. But. Um, It was fun to get to have some stuff like that on one
0: of the releases. Was this your first vinyl release?
3: Yeah, it was. So Shadowgraphs, um,
2: they were sent to me from a PR buddy of mine uh, who just heard the album and and thought it was kind of right up my alley. And I listened to it and was really blown away by the production value on their album as well as obviously the songs, the songwriting, uh, the whole feel of it. Um, but it, it just had this really beautifully polished, beautifully recorded, um, rich sonic feel to it. And we were kind of getting to the point where, um, we'd done a a decent number of cassette releases and, um, I was kind of curious as to what it might be to, take Golden Brown into doing vinyl releases and it just felt like the right one to take that jump.
3: Something that stood out to me from the um, Shadowgrass release venomous blossoms was just at the variety of songs that they tackled um it's all seamless and it all makes so much sense together but they're like it's not one of those albums where every song kind of sounds the same or you even could be like that's definitely shadow graphs that's definitely shadow graphs like they really kind of tried to create a, a lot of different iterations of their own sound um through just different song types, and that stood out to me the first time I listened through, and I think that was one of the first things I really liked about it.
2: Yeah, definitely. Like there, you can play like a song like Space Medusa, which has a very like modern psychedelic rock feel to it, um, and it's you know it's pretty unmistakably like in this in that genre in that world. And then there's another song. On the album that I've always really just thought was incredibly beautiful, called "Cloud Reflections," and um, it's like—I mean, if you heard those two songs back to back, they're completely different. Um, but it just shows like a lot of their versatility. I feel like on the album, like it's a—it's a psychedelic album, but it's—it's it's very versatile in the way that they approach that.
1: Alive just be the one I want every day.
2: Next artist pregnant story behind working with pregnant was really interesting because he came recommended to me by I think three different artists on our label um who were all completely independent of each other um like they weren't all like part of the same group or anything it was just like um Joe Past had been working or had played shows with him or knew him um Tony of Powerhouse and then also Brendan uh, who records as Bobby, who was on the uh, initial compilation and should be we, we're, we've been working um, with him on doing a more full length release here before too long um, but just to come recommended by so many different people I was like okay I, I gotta check this guy out um, and listened to his music and heard this, this newest album that he had put together um, even just like snippets of it and I really just love the way that he meshed samples together and created this very like I don't know it was like a very upbeat and cool vibe like very uh, His music is is some of the hardest to describe, I think, of anyone on the label, but it's gotten kind of like comparisons to Animal Collective in terms of some of the vocal delivery and stuff, but basically he just is one of those guys that seems like everything is a potential tool for him to make sounds and make cool collages of sounds with, so He'll pull from sampled material. He'll, you know, play guitar and other instruments. He sings. And his music is just this like tapestry of all these different things woven together. that I've never heard anybody else that sounds quite like him, especially on this album, Duct Tape, that we put out.
3: Yeah, it's super unique, and it's also very useful and colorful. Just like so many different textures woven together in perfect balance, and then just kind of like a lot of times punctuated by the vocals.
1: You want it, now Release See the the Your abilities.
0: Up next is obvious creature. They were featured on the Perfectly Toasted compilation, and Golden Brown just released their full length this fall.
2: Yeah, Obvious Creature is one who, again, we worked with on the first compilation, uh, Perfectly Toasted volume one. And it was another one of the songs, it just uh, had this super mellow uh, atmosphere. It was the perfect final track for the compilation. Um, just kind of the quintessential ending track I felt like and um, we got a lot of responses about that track uh, people asking about it um, people really digging it and so I knew I was gonna be excited to hear whatever Pete had been working on Um, and so it's the project of Pete Sanderson and he's from uh, the central coast of New South Wales in Australia so it's cool to have an Australian artist on the roster to work with, and I had been waiting for to hear, you know, what, what he had been working on um, since the compilation track, and he sent me the finished album, and I just loved it from the first listen. Um, it has a very like nostalgic '80s feel to a lot of the drums and the synths. Um, but he also has a really, he has a great knack for just creating atmospheres and sort of setting these like trickling melodies within them, um, and utilizing a lot of like dissonant harmonies and reverbs and things like that to just really create this, this big sound, um. And it, it, feels, it feels big and open, but it doesn't get like, too washed out. I feel like the parts that you want to sing through really come through vibrantly, um, which is one of my favorite parts about Pete's music.
0: to now is the track that closed out the comp. And Tom's right, it does play the role of album closer well. But we aren't done yet. We've now gone through the Golden Brown discography and had the opportunity to hear about the artists straight from these people who were so compelled as to invest their time and money and resources into a partnership with them. And we talked a lot about the idea of a label being a community or even a family. Tom and Brooke gave me several examples of how artists on their label have connected and toured together, like when Future States and Bird Magic linked up on the East Coast for a few dates, or collaborated in some way, like when Bobie designed album artwork for Pregnant 7 Inches, or helped each other in some random way, like when Joe Past gave advice to fellow Canadians, Future States, on how to obtain visas for touring in the U.S. And of course, at the end of the day, bands do have to be very self-sufficient if they're going to succeed. I think this idea of self-sufficiency cannot be understated, by the way. I also asked both Brooke and Tom for any specific pieces of advice they have for artists. Here's Tom.
2: So I'd say if I was giving advice to artists, um, new artists specifically, because that's who we tend to work with, um, you know, it's basically the biggest thing is you have to kind of look at it and decide how much of your own time, effort, energy you're willing to put into making yourself, you know, growing your audience, essentially. And that's where, like, if if you're more interested in just, like, making this really cool piece of recorded music and putting it out there for people to hear, which there's nothing wrong with that. It's a really awesome, you know, thing that we're able to do these days, home recording, self-releasing, everything like that. And I think it's a really good route for a lot of artists to go. But if you're somebody who has the time and the ability to constantly be on the road touring, and you think that that sounds like the type of life that you want to live for the foreseeable future, and you're truly dedicated to doing the promotion, booking the shows, doing all of that side to it that's just grinding, really, then you're probably a good fit for a label, and that's where when if you just focus on doing that, the labels will find you, and the right labels will find you, and they'll come in and sort of act basically as like a multiplier, um, not as the not as the person that's going to be the driving force behind your career, but as the person that's going to help amplify all the work that you're putting into it. And that's really, I think the main thing that labels these days are looking for in a world where, you know, most labels know that, you know, they're doing this out of passion and they're probably not going to make a huge return if any, but they just want to see an artist that is dedicated to it. And so that they can get behind them a hundred percent and,
0: feel that it's a fruitful partnership moving forward we went down the wormhole a little bit talking about touring what that takes and what that lifestyle is like
2: it's not a lifestyle that's easy to do in, in today's day and age sustainably really i mean it's that's totally true i think part of it that to build on like the whole concept of of this is just like patience is really important too because you know, a lot of, if if you're an artist and you're looking at the artists that you love and that you listen to, not very many of them truly got big off of, like, their first album or even their second album. Even if it's, like, the first album that you've heard of by that artist or the first album that was, like, had a widespread release, I guarantee that artist has had a number of, like, smaller albums, empty shows, you know, everything that came before, before they even got onto people's radar. And there's a big part of it that's just putting in that time kind of and and giving people a chance to kind of discover you through the various matriculations of the internet and word of mouth and friends of friends. And it definitely just takes a while, which can be one of the bigger frustrations when you're a label that's basically trying to break brand
0: new bands all the time. Right. Um, Because it just takes time. Well, that's also encouraging for artists because I think that a lot of artists might think every famous band I can think of just blew up. Like they just came out of nowhere and you're saying like, no, they were, they were, they were doing the thing for a long time. Exactly. And here's Brooke with some more advice
3: to maybe just try and add something that he hasn't already said because what he said is really valuable. Um, I think, too, another good strategy to try and align yourself with is the strategy of just creating a community um, where you are. So even if you can't tour very much, like, out of your own city, like creating a fan base in your own city um, is the best place to start. You know, and I think that that's really valuable for, um, as a place to where to go because you're right, like, so many people are going to think, like, oh, my favorite bands, they just blew up. Like, it seems like that, but yeah, you can't, um, underestimate how much starting small and really getting it right there can do for you. Um, and also take the, like, take advantage of being small because, like, when you're, before you have like you know thousands of people DMing you on Instagram every day or something like um you have the time to connect personally with people who are interested in your music and so do that like that's going to be you know it's obvious in our social media age like that's what people want is they want to see you as a person like whatever you're you're willing to give up not give up like but whatever willing whatever you're willing to give um of yourself as far as sharing who you are and your personality with the world. Like people are, are going to pay attention. Um, it's never going to like. it's going to take a lot for it to be gratuitous. So like definitely just, like I would say don't be shy and uh, yeah, start, start small. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. I think that what Brooke mentioned about focusing local early on is actually a really, is a really good one. Um, and because like, it's easy nowadays with the internet to think like that when you're releasing music or playing shows that like the entire United States or the entire world is like your target market. But there really is no substitute for just like focusing on your hometown and building a good strong following there and doing like small regional tours and just slowly expanding outward. Um, Cause once you get some real momentum going with people who will want to connect with you because you're a local band, you know, in their hometown, um, you kind of build your core fan base that way. And then it can expand exponentially, um, beyond that.
0: That's all really good advice. And it makes me feel really sad for the person who just is a brilliant musician who just doesn't like have social media or isn't, Young and has like, just you know, a thousand friends who will immediately. I mean, sometimes I wonder how much when you are reaching out for press or reaching out to a venue for booking or whatever. They're not just looking at your Facebook, the number of Facebook likes you have, and just immediately before even listening to your music, they're just seeing, well, how many likes do they have on Facebook? I mean, you is isn't there a superficiality to this and there, sort of like a millennialism to the music industry now that
2: Uh, I would say yeah definitely I mean and that can be one of the most like tiresome aspects of it I think nowadays is social media is is such a part of promotion it's inescapable and even if you don't feel like engaging on those platforms you're kind of like forced to because that's where the listeners are, and um, I'm sure there's a lot of really creative ways to work around those platforms um, that just have not come to me yet, or I haven't seen them yet. And but it, it's definitely like a huge part of it that can be kind of a drain on you. I feel like having to just uh, keep those channels so active.
3: Yeah, I think, too, like, you just have to find what works for you. Like, not every, like Thomas is saying, like, it really is a benefit to you to utilize the free social platforms that you have access to, like Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. Um, but you just have to figure out, like, what's worth your time and what works for you. Like, your social media presence um, or just your your presence online to your fans doesn't not doesn't need to be the way you see it done from other bands. Like, if what works for you is to, like, you know, post a screenshot of, like, text that you typed out in notes whenever you have something you want your fans to have access to and then posting that somewhere, do it. Like, it doesn't have to be, like, selfies and what you had for breakfast and, like, overshare as far as um, personal information and stuff goes. Like, people follow theme accounts, right? And this is something that, you know... You could argue it the opposite way, but I, I do think is really popular, like with like the young millennials, is just um, true individuality, like being true to whoever you are, like if if whatever it is that you can't get out of your head or the, the stuff that you want to you know model your life after, or what feels natural to you, like just go with that. If at any time you feel like you're forcing it or you're trying to be something that's coming really difficultly to you and it just doesn't feel natural, then, like, I think that's a good place to stop and ask yourself, like, is the pain I'm putting myself through of trying to be this certain thing just to get the look of it, is is that really getting me to my end goal? And if not, then maybe it's not worth it.
0: I think that is amazing advice, and I couldn't agree more. That like as important as the social media channels are, you have to. If something doesn't come naturally to you, it's not going to. You could, it could erode your brand more than it could, or, or cause emotional, um, you know, distress to try to force it. And that being yourself, I mean, there's literally I stumbled upon an Instagram account of a girl who shoves her face into a into bread. bread yes yeah
1: and I was like why
0: I was like there are a million followers and I am one of them and (laughs) so yeah individuality absolutely um so that's awesome you guys follow breadface blog too all right I may have exaggerated a bit there breadface blog has 173,000 followers right now not a million but yeah true individuality be yourself be original don't try to be something just because you think that's what people want to see Use the internet and social media, but use it in a way that works for you. Build a following locally. Get out there and connect with what is around you. Don't underestimate or undervalue that hometown support and how powerful it can be to have that strong base before trying to expand. Tour if you can. It's not glamorous, it's not easy, but that's the kind of hustle that labels want to see. And be patient. Not all bands blow up overnight. Some really, really good nuggets of advice there. I really enjoy the Sunderlands, I enjoyed getting to know them a bit over the past year or two, and then a bit more just in the past hour or two that I'd spent talking on the phone with them. I also expect big things for them, and Golden Brown. For a label that's barely a year old, I think we can all see and hear a promising future ahead. One last thing to mention Tom hosts a radio show that broadcasts in Portland dial position 911 on Mondays from 2 to three he says it's
2: what golden brown would sound like if I could sign any band on the planet yeah. <laughs>
0: if you're not within reach of the broadcast signal find perfectly toasted radio on Spotify and now I get to pick some outro music am I a little biased probably here's bird magic the first time Can't you see I'm here. Episode from background music to featured tracks were by Golden Brown artists. Be sure to explore more at Golden Brown's website, goldenbrown.com. That's Golden Brown without any vowels.com. And of course, all the artists you've heard, they all have their own websites and social media. Everyone's on all the platforms iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Bandcamp. Go find it, listen to it, buy it, go to their shows, follow them, tell your friends. Till next time, thanks for listening.